You're listening to Festival Grasp. A podcast diving into the business and culture of the music festival world. With your hosts, Mario. And Shanae. Well, welcome everybody to the newscast in this week's edition. Kezo announces two-day Kezo Doghouse pod concert event. The future of Black Rock City. Is pandemic brain changing your taste in music? You're not alone. Calvin Harris blasts UK government. You've lost sight of what life is about. Dance, drink, and die in this trippy video game blending rave culture and horror. But first, coronavirus pandemic means Australia's music festivals are in a devastating holding pattern, but Yonder Festival is still going forward. Now this report here in ABC News Australia by Merdula Amin states an interview where she is speaking with Mrs. Parker who runs the iconic St. Jerome's Lane Way Festival in Melbourne. And Ms. Parker says that she's hopeful the Australian shows in Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, Adelaide and Perth can still go ahead in some capacity but that she relies on more help from the federal government. In a quote, until we can have assurance that we will be able to operate with an appropriate lead time, we're in a holding pattern. But in June, the federal government of Australia announced a $250 million creative economy support package. It also set up a $75 million restart investment to sustain and expand, called RISE as an acronym, fund, which allows festival organizers to apply for up to $2 million to assist in putting on a new or reshaped event. Now, Mrs. Parker says festival organizers have to get creative, of course. In the United Kingdom, festivals have tried to create COVID-safe environments by selling separate dancing pig pens, she calls them. And other people have created these online virtual reality or live streams. But she says that festivals need more certainty. We are not in any way short of ideas on how to get things running. We're happy to diversify, but it comes at such a high risk financially. If we get canceled, then it's a very difficult situation to invest in. We'd like to open up a conversation with the government about underwriting our festivals to some degree, because that's the kind of funding model where you see instant tangible results. That is what will allow us to go back to business. I want to know your thoughts, Shanae, on Ms. Parker asking the federal government of Australia to underwrite music festivals. Yeah, I think that she makes a really valid point. It is a very expensive business to to run. So to have such uncertainty around the success of these events and the safety of these events and the potential cancellations of them, it's really important to know that your investment is secured to some degree because right now it's so up in the air and there's evidence to show that they're not going to get a return on that investment, that that investment could go out the window with just one ruling of the government that they can't host that event um, after they've put so much into it. Yeah, because I I suppose this, this RISE fund is something that they would have to pay back. So yes, it does give them the money to put an event on with possible restrictions and all that kind of thing. But like you said, she actually wants them to take a measure. She basically wants the government to ensure these festivals in case more goes wrong. Um, There's a survey here, Sinead, by Advocacy Group Australia Live Music Business Council that found only 17% of members expected to benefit from this RISE package. And about 70% of the 600 businesses that took part warned that they could close within six months based on cash flow projections and current government support measures. 
So Mrs. Parker is worried that many of her contractors may not even exist if her festival in particular, Laneway, can't go ahead this summer. She says, before you've even walked inside, you've engaged or observed with about 10 small businesses or independent contractors, the fencing company, security, the ticketing provider, the waste company providing the bins. A lot of them didn't even qualify for assistance. Now, her other major concern is, of course, that there are new COVID cases in Australia, and those are specifically in uh, Victoria and New South Wales. It is a cause for concern for sure. I'm just wondering whether what she requires is going to happen. You know, maybe one of the real big things that we can take from this, just from a global perspective, is we keep talking about what's going to happen with the music festival industry. What is it going to look like if it comes back, when it comes back? What's allowable? People are trying all sorts of things, but are all the other components that make real physical festivals what they are, are those going to be irreparable in some way? Yeah, uh, people don't realize that there's a lot of cogs to this machine that that is our industry and they don't consider, you know, a fencing company or a security company or garbage disposal to be something that is specific for a music festival. But the reality is if those shut down, we, we also cannot safely dispose of things and, and provide just a safe and clean environment in general. So in my opinion, what I'm hearing this person ask for is just some level of accountability from the government and some level of consideration because many governments, including our own in Canada, aren't considering certain levels of entertainment like music festivals or the music industry to be essential services. But having some level of enjoyment, especially during a pandemic, is really healthy for people's mental health and really important. So we're not getting the level of consideration that we need. And it's showing through a pattern of the, you know, varying businesses that are affected from this industry specifically. On the flip side, speaking of festivals, Shanae, there is one that is going forward in Australia, and that is the Yonder Festival, which is in Queensland. And the reason why it's allowed to go on is that they have almost no reported cases as of last week of new positive tests of a coronavirus. So this festival, Yonder, has been given the green light. It's in Queensland, and it's described as Queensland's mesmeric and mystical music, arts, and culture festival. It's set to take place in in the Mary Valley between the 26th and the 28th of November. I think we should go. Do you want to go? That might be a bit sudden and maybe there's some travel restrictions there. But just on and off topic, this is where the parties are at. They're in the Southern Hemisphere and they're in Asia. We are in the wrong place, Shanae. <laughs> uh, now, this completely immersive festival is set to defy the odds with a COVID safe space plan that they state is set to ensure the safety of everyone attending while maintaining a supportive and positive atmosphere. Now, this festival is limited to a thousand tickets. It's three-day camping festival. It will feature artists across four stages with a wide range of music and a strong focus on culture. It will acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land, aiming to build meaningful relationships with the local community to support local artists and culture, particularly with indigenous practitioners, 
communities, and artists. And I know that you've spoken about this in previous episodes and you've supported articles that have written about this. And I think we can both agree that this is really, really important. Now, the festival creative director, Lincoln Savage, hopes to continue the culture of innovation for this festival with a commitment created during the successful debut of Yonder in 2019. There are a couple of things that I want to say, Shanae, because I want your opinion on this part. They are ensuring a 1.5 meter distance from other festival goers. There's going to be clear signage, hand sanitizing stations, and all that kind of uh, you know protocol stuff. But there is one thing <laughs> that I was kind of like, uh-oh, there's no dancing permitted at the event, Shanae. They're having a music festival and not allowing dancing? There is no dancing permitted. That's what it states. Wow. Um, I mean, just that's a little shocking, I would say. I understand you're trying to keep a distance from people, but I guess they want it set up in this seated concert setting is all I could imagine because I can't picture an outdoor festival where you're not allowed to dance. And then are, are people, are they going to kick you out? Is there the dance police that are going to come over and give you a citation for dancing? Like, how would that operate? I, I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I'm, I'm flummoxed. I don't know what to say. You know, we talked about an article last week or the week before on micro movements where the scientists were showing that people couldn't resist the urge to dance, especially to EDM, but it does state no dancing permitted at the event. Mr. Savage goes on to say, Yonder is an experiential arts project that has been built from the ground up to provide a deeply immersive avenue for human communication and connection through the arts. As one of the first festivals to gain approval to proceed, we are excited to get back out to sight. Now, I think that they're one of the first festivals to gain approval because they're not going to allow any dancing. I don't know, Shanae. I would almost feel like it's similar to going to an interactive art exhibit where you can walk through and you can view things and you can participate in things, but then it wouldn't actually be a music festival in at least what we typically recognize. Kaizo announces a two-day concert event called Kaizo's Doghouse. Following the footsteps of the UK trend for social distance events, this DJ is hosting a pod-style concert. So every group of up to five people can get their own fenced-in pod that is eight feet by 10 feet and set six feet apart from the next group. Knowing that this trend is on the downfall in the UK, not necessarily because of linked uh, cases, but because of the concern around it. What are your thoughts, Mario? Well, I'll tell you, Sinead, I... <laughs> Oh, these pod style concert events. I Yes, we did talk about this. It, it, they're not going to save live music. There were event spaces in the UK that got shut down because COVID still spread. Now, it, it states here that the spacious pods are meant for dancing. Like you haven't danced in six months. <laughs> I love that quote. None of us have been dancing anyways, but I guess that's that's what they're trying to say. I guess it's an improvement from the Yonder Festival, which will allow no dancing. So that's something. You can probably dance as hard as you want, as long as it's within this pod. Look, like Miss Parker was saying in our earlier article, everyone's trying to be creative. And if you can put it on and people come and you make enough money to pay some people's salaries and it keeps businesses afloat, this is great. But do I think that this is going to continue? No. These pod style concert events are going to be thrown out of the club, bounced as soon as COVID gets a vaccine. That is a very valid and fair statement. I think that the interesting thing about this, at least for me, is in the U.S., 
all of the drive-in events that they host, you're allowed outside of your car. You get this pod set up already, but it's beside your vehicle. So I don't really see a huge difference for people who go to the drive-ins in the States and who will now go to this event. But for us in Ontario, this would just be a huge step up from what we get to experience currently. And I mean, I wish that our government was looking into a safe way to allow something like this because I could definitely use some dancing. You're right, Shanae. We should encourage all of this because certainly it is going to get people out to move. It's good for your soul. It's good for your heart. It's good for your general well-being. So I'm, I'm all for it. Be sure to keep tuning in weekly for our music festival newscast and subscribe to our Deep Dives, our bi-monthly in-depth topical discussion show with interviews and guests that will bring you insight and knowledge. Link in the show notes. Next up, Calvin Harris blasts UK government. You've lost sight of what life is about. So earlier this week, Shanae, the UK Minister for Care and the Department of Health and Social Care, Helen Waitley, and the Apprenticeship and Skills Minister made comments on the nightlife industry. They spoke on the difficulty of clubs reopening during COVID-19 and how supporting jobs in the industry, quote, doesn't make sense. So Calvin Harris took to social media and objected. The Grammy Award-winning music producer said in a scathing statement on Instagram that the UK government is, quote, treating the music industry like shit. It contributes $5 billion to the economy, generates massive tax revenues and other public services. And besides that, culture is extremely fucking important. You've lost sight of what life is about. You'd rather live in a world of supermarkets and pharmaceutical drugs, Harris finished in his rant. Yeah, I think it's a huge slap in the face for the entire industry to be told, essentially, you don't matter when they contribute largely to the economy. Yeah, he goes on to drive his uh, sentiments home further by citing an article in UK Music that analyzed its own 2019 Music by Numbers report. The key 2018 music industry figures from the dossier include 5.2 billion pounds contributed to the UK economy, 1.1 billion pounds amassed by the live music sector alone, up 10% from 991 million the year before and at an all-time high employment rate of almost 200,000 in 2018. Now, when the ministers of any government come out and say that a particular industry that is contributing over $5 billion to the economy is not worth supporting, kind of raises an eyebrow. Like, what kind of numbers are these people looking at? I, I don't understand. Now, I don't want to speak ill of ministers in government, but they're probably not the coolest people on the planet, right? So maybe they don't go to shows. Maybe they don't go to nightlife events. Maybe, they're, maybe they are snobs and they just mingle in their own circles. So this whole whole genre of people, of industry is probably the first one they're going to take right out of the budget. But they don't understand these are legitimate industries with legitimate artists that fund and finance a lot of people that work in different fields. We were just describing in Australia, you know, there's companies that put fencing up at live events. I mean, if they're not getting work, aren't they worth supporting too? I don't get it. Anyway, when a troll uh, commented towards Harris, calling him a sellout, Harris fired back. It's a metaphorical image, you daft cunt. And I, as someone who didn't come from money, worked in a fish factory and then Safeway before becoming one of the most successful British producers of all time. I'll make my bleeping comment. Okay, so Shanae, a bunch of other artists uh, support Harris's comments and also came out with their own statements. But among them was Carl Cox. He's quoted as saying, it's not right that the government thinks we're unviable. The government is 100% wrong. 
The people have spoken before. We fought for the right to party. Despite everything that the police and the politicians put us under, they had to give us festivals and clubs, the ability to give people what they wanted in their lives in comfortable surroundings. I'd like to see their tax accounts. He's talking about the politicians based on how much <laughs> we have, how much we all have to pay based on what they get in revenue because they allow these events to continue. I bet it's billions. If we don't come back, we meaning uh, the UK music industry, UK would be losing billions and billions. You know the government doesn't like to lose billions, he finishes off by saying. So ultimately, he calls on the dance community here, Sinead, to speak out against the government and fight for the nightlife industry to live on. And I kind of think to myself, okay, well, we're talking about nightlife here. But you know, nightclubs are a short hop and a step to a festival. A festival is basically a collection of nightclubs and then you add art and culture to it, right? Or I should say art and other programming. The culture is probably still there in terms of a dance community aspect. But what are your final thoughts here about these statements by these high-powered DJs who are seeming quite emotional about all of this? Um, I think that even if they're not in any financial troubles, they recognize everything that they've gone through over the years to build their success. And they see how a comment that was made from the minister could really affect the success of the future of the industry. Yeah, good on them. I mean, Carl Cox, he's been he's been rocking and rolling for 40 years. Good on him. Way to go. It's good to have people speak out like that. Would you like to be on the show if you or someone you know is a journalist with a relevant article topic or can speak to a story we have covered? Please click or forward the guest sign-up link in the show notes. We'd love to have you on. Don't be shy. Is the pandemic brain changing your taste in music? Well, you're not alone, according to Jessica Horinfar, a music therapist at Northwestern Medicine Central DuPage Hospital. She says, the way we listen to music is extremely psychological and physiological. Music activates so many areas of the brain at the same time in both hemispheres that involve emotion, memory, language, and motor. It activates the neurotransmitter dopamine, which helps you feel pleasure. Music can decrease your cortisol levels. While it can be cathartic, she notes that music has the potential to cause harm if what they're listening to triggers a bad or traumatic memory. The way we listen in 2020 somewhat shows us how we're coping with this year. So Mario, have you seen a difference in the music you listen to now versus what you've listened to a year ago? Hmm, good question. Yeah, well, I think so. Yes, right off the top of my mind, I would say specifically yes, because because I, I get what this article is saying and I get what she's saying, that there's a difference between, you know, music is my therapy and using music as therapy with a board certified therapist behind the wheel there. But last year when I was going to festivals still, I was creating compilations on Spotify in preparation for the festival. I was discovering artists I'd never heard of before and I was really tapping into music that I would never have really had the chance to like find because really all I was doing was basically going through all the Spotify artist albums and adding them to my playlist. So when it comes to pertaining to this article, I do remember when things were a little hairy at the beginning there and we were wondering if this was potentially an apocalyptic event here with COVID coming for us. I remember that I was listening to more jazz and I like smooth jazz. That's my jam. And usually I only listen to it at Christmas. So instead of Christmas music, I listen to smooth jazz. 
And I think it's because it's very, very relaxing to me. There's no lyrics, so it's not distracting. And it's somewhat all sounds the same. So it's just a nice level of feeling that I can count on. The calming music, I think, is what uh, is what I would answer you with. But that is typically music that you would listen to in general. The jazz only during Christmas. So if you're asking whether I've discovered new music, no, I actually discovered more music when I was participating in live events. Okay. And very interesting. For myself, I found that typically around March, April, around the springtime, I would hype myself up similar to you as to going to festivals and start listening to DJs so I could decide, you know, where I want to go during the festival um, with so many options. And For the most part, over the last few years, predominantly, I would listen to bass genres. So different styles of bass music, a lot of dubstep, very like heavy, high energy music. And after the first festival that I was supposed to go to canceled, I switched up and I stopped listening to that kind of music because I found that as I would listen to it, I would really get just like serious FOMO. And, and be really upset that I wasn't at a festival. So I associated that music to my festival experiences. And then that created a trigger to sadness because I couldn't experience that, that feeling that I wanted to experience. And now over the summer and over the early fall, I've started to listen to different Spotify playlists that are like happy beats and positive music. And even if it's like still in the electronic um, electronic genre, I've been listening to funk and soul music. I've just been listening to things that try to invoke a positive, happy feeling. And the other day I listened to bass music again and immediately my first reaction was, wow, festivals are canceled. I don't want to hear this. This sucks. This is making me miss it so much more. So I did find that um, during the pandemic for myself, I, I had that change in taste. She does also say that it's important to listen to music that matches our state of being in tempo, in rhythm, in frequency, in volume, and in lyrics. And I wonder how many of us do that. I can resonate with that. I often find I've always been a fan of fairly sad sounding music, sad lyrics, or a vocalist that sound like you can hear sorrow. And I just found it to be cathartic and healing in those senses. So I can see how you kind of want to match your mood with the music. For you, it just made you listen to different kinds of music, but did it change it? You still like what you like, no? Yeah, I would say that I've always transitioned between different genres in general. Like I've never stuck to one genre of music. So it didn't necessarily change my taste, but it changed what I select. Yes. Which goes to the quote we just read, which is that it's important to match our state of being with the music that we listen to because music is so powerful. And I think that's one of the overlooked things about the loss of music festivals. And and let's also mention how the music is played because being at a festival in front of a stage that has state-of-the-art speaker systems blasting at you is a way different experience of music than sitting at home with whatever speakers you might have in your living room. (laughs) You're certainly never going to get the feeling of your heart vibrating from any home stereo. And if you did, your neighbors probably don't like you very much. 
All right, next up, the future of Black Rock City. This article here by Charlie Dolman via Burning Man, it's basically telling us what the operations team is doing. And the answer is they're thinking about the future. To more fully understand this question, they are launching a five-part series wherein the goal is to share information and provide a window into what they are doing and what they plan to do to tune up Black Rock City for the future. So each post following the introduction will thoroughly examine a current area of work and dig deep into related topics. In the first post, which is part one of the series, they have three items in the table of content, and it starts with past, how we got here, the Burning Man bus, present, three themes and many areas of work. And then future, how are we planning for it? So they're basically going to try to explain to us how they're approaching the new outlook into how their future is going to look like in the new year. And what I really loved out of all of this was the first part, which is how we got here, the Burning Man bus. Okay, and I want to read this here. So Burning Man is like a bus, Shanae, on a never ending route. Over the years, our Burning Man bus has grown and has never stopped moving. Each season, new luggage gets added onto its roof and the load gets heavier. Our route to and from Black Rock City includes no time for pit stops. There are too many things to do in the short yearly cycle of BRC operations to make big changes. As a result, processes get overloaded and sentimented in place and our ever-expanding bus becomes increasingly sluggish. We could probably all relate to some of that in our own life. But this year, bang, our bus was forced to a screeching halt. For the first time in 30 years, BRC is not being built in the Black Rock Desert. This rare pause in our routine has provided us with an amazing opportunity to look at our bus, re-examine our work and operations, and unpack some luggage. What have we found? An old event with old systems made for and by the old world. It's time for us to make some changes. Our bus needs detailing, an oil check, and maybe its tires rotated. It was great when it was designed and fit perfectly at the time, but the state of the world in 2020, combined with some older systems, are giving us a beautiful opportunity to rethink and reshape. So what does this mean? We are asking ourselves and our community, when BRC comes back, what can it be? There are many opinions about this, and the answer can only be found in the collective engagement of our community. We agree that BRC should showcase our best selves. Our city has always been a platform for progressive thinking, research, and development. Now is a time for us to expand and deepen our conversations and do the work that we truly believe in BRC and the world, Shanae. What do you think about all that? I think that, you know, with everything that's happened and a lot of the things that they've touched on over the last few weeks, including uh, their diversity initiatives and their lack of funding, I think that they just want to be as open and transparent as possible and then seek the support when they need it. Yeah, absolutely. And however you feel about what has happened this year, it's happened to all of us. I think for Burning Man and anyone else out there who wants to take an opportunity now to use this space that, we, that we've been allowed to have by the, the current events to reformulate our lives and take a more positive energy to the future, maybe you know, shed some luggage, like they say, rotate our wheels, maybe do an oil change. I think that's just a great analogy to something we could all potentially put into our own life to look into 2021 with a bit more optimism and a nice shiny new buff to our vehicle as we move forward. And October is World Mental Health Awareness Month. So it's a friendly reminder that self-care is good for your mental health. 
that's a perfect way to state it. And optimism is sometimes hard to come by, but it is a choice. Try to find as much support as you can and keep your thoughts positive because the sun always rises. Dance, drink, and die in this trippy video game blending rave culture and horror. Swedish video game developer Green Title Digital is releasing a one-of-a-kind experience with their video game Strobophagia Rave Horror. This psychedelic survival horror game is set in an EDM festival with the protagonist attending in search for the ultimate freedom of expression. They're then tasked with escaping the festival after the organizers inform attendees that the price of the admission is their lives. The player must solve puzzles and interact with their intuitive in-game smartphone feature in order to survive and escape through an ominous neon-soaked forest. Music will play a pivotal role in strobophagia. The developers produced a stable of custom electronic tracks in-house and they've included various genres such as electro, trance, and techno. I think this is super cool. As somebody who likes to play video games, I don't particularly like horror games, but I think combining the two, knowing that a lot of people during this pandemic are playing video games and bringing them that mini festival experience, even though this is that apocalyptic festival experience that you wouldn't necessarily want to um, attend in real life, seems like a very fun way to pass the time. Yes, except for I don't like horror, but but <laughs> I will say this does sound super cool. And the genres of music, I mean, I'd definitely like to hear the soundtrack because it sounds it sounds great. I love electro. I, I do like trance. And of course, techno. Everyone's on the techno bandwagon right now. So I'm definitely down to see which artists that they're going to feature. The music festival inside video games is kind of taken off. I don't know if it was already there and we I just didn't know about it. But I, I guess right now it's being integrated like never before because it just seems a very normal thing to do if you're trying to produce any online events and you want to merge it with a very big industry that is very, very powerful and that can get into everyone's living room already. Well, that's the video game business. So, you know, now the physical festivals are out. Minecraft has music festivals inside their gaming space uh, where players can use colorful blocks to like create anything from structures to even rock and roll amphitheaters. And then Fortnite is turning more and more into a virtual music festival. <laughs> you know, Epic Games there, they've announced a series of three concerts that are going to be organized within the game. But coming back to Strobophagia, it's not just a musical experience, but there's a gaming element here. So they're, they're almost creating this sort of new world. <laughs> and there's Ben Clark, the CEO of this company that makes this game, the Green Tile Digital. He says, we can't wait for horror and EDM fans to put on a pair of headphones and immerse themselves in the kaleidoscope of horrors we've prepared for them. We guarantee the Headless Rave Festival will be a party to die for. Well, thanks everyone for joining us on another week's Festival Grasp. Make sure to subscribe on Apple or Google Podcasts, Spotify, or via your chosen podcast collector, so you'll never miss us talking into your ears again. And while you're at it, if you find value in what we are discussing, rate us on Apple Podcasts. It's like telling a friend about it, but better. And it gives us a chance in that big old world out there. I know we're just getting to know each other, but come on, show us some love. We're here for you. You're here for us. So let's do this thing. To sign up as an expert guest on the show, to leave us a question or message, or to jar tip your support, follow the appropriate links in the show notes. Be sure to keep tuning in weekly for our music festival newscast and subscribe to Deep Dives, our bi-monthly in-depth topical discussion show with interviews and guests that will bring you insight and knowledge. Link in the show notes. This podcast edited by GBA Recordings. For me, Mario. 
and Shanae. See you next time. Bye.